Luke chapter 5. Now, what time, Pastor, do you normally stop preaching on Sunday mornings? They always do. Every church I've been to but one, when I've told what the preacher said, they laugh. But what do you, what do you think you normally stop at? Is that about right? Good. All right. I'll, I will try to do that. Now, if I stop early, I'm going to do like they do in Congress and reserve the right to the balance of my time. <laughs> I've enjoyed my time here. Love South Dakota. Love Rapid City. Love this church. And love what the Lord is doing here. And I, I really appreciate it. I did not know you could invite yourself back like Brother Nathan did. Just told you to come back and say, <laughs> I, may, I may try that as I travel somehow. <laughs> Actually, I know, I know some evangelists who do that, but I, I, I don't do that. Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Hey, aren't you glad you go to a church where you hear the word of God? He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him with the draught of the fishes which they had taken, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Lord, I pray you'd help me and empower me and direct me to say those things would help your people, that would glorify your name, that would strengthen your church, that would increase the outreach of the gospel from this great church into this needy city. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. Amen. It is early in the ministry of our Savior. He is in the region of Israel known as Galilee, northernmost region, rural. He's, he's wildly popular there. Great crowds gather at a moment's notice, and he's standing by the Sea of Galilee, that body of water we talked about Wednesday night, eight miles wide, 13 miles long, and the people press upon him to hear the word of God. I think I just made your Lord's Supper table crooked again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some people are OCD. Other people are CDO. That's OCD in alphabetical order. <laughs> The crowd comes up against him. The water's behind him. Their bodies absorb the sound of his voice. But he looks over and there's a couple of ships empty. The owners, the people who use the boat are gone out of them. Now, does anybody own a boat? 
It's okay, I'm not preaching against it. It's all right. I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. The day I bought my boat, the day I sold my boat. The Lord Jesus, the Bible says, walks over and enters into one of the ships. He just walked over and went into Peter's boat. Imagine you take your boat down to the lake, you by yourself, so you back it down the ramp, you winch it off the trailer, tie it off on the dock, go park your truck and trailer, and you come back and somebody's sitting in your boat. What would you say? Hi, how y'all doing? I was born in South Carolina, graduated from high school and college there. I know y'all is not plural. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural and all all y'alls is is plural possessive. But Jesus walks into Peter's boat and sits down acting like, like he owns the place. Oh, I guess he does. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord Jesus can never intrude. He can never ask for too much. And then he makes a request. He said, would you just thrust out a little bit from the land? Peter does. Now there's a body of water separating the Lord Jesus from the crowd. It acts as a natural soundboard. He preaches. The entire crowd can hear his message. Then, when he's done, he makes another request. He says to Peter, would you launch out into the deep? Get ready for a great big catch of fish. And get all your nets and put them in the water. And it's as if Peter is saying to the Lord Jesus, now, Lord, you know the preaching business. You wanted to use my boat. I didn't ask what you're going to do with it, how long you're going to keep it. I just let you use it. But I know the fishing business. We fished all night last night, didn't catch a thing. And if there were any fish to be taken, we'd have got them last night. We're pros. We do this every day. And I don't want to get all my nets wet and dirty again. I was just cleaning them up when you came. But I'll humor you. I'll put one net in the water. They did. And as soon as they did, the net was so full of fish, it began to break. And they called their partners in every ship, and they pulled all the fish they could in both ships so that they began to sink. They get to shore, and Peter's embarrassed at his lack of faith and his limited obedience. And he kneels down at the Lord Jesus, and he says, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And the Lord answers in words we find all through the Bible. He says, fear not. And then he says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And the occasion of Peter's lack of faith and his limited obedience becomes the occasion of his call to the ministry. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. So about how many people live within, how many people live in Rapid City? 70,000? How many in the greater area, the metropolitan How much? 100,000. How many folks come to your church on a typical Sunday morning? Probably 165. 165, and you're trying to fill an area of 100,000 with your doctrine. Well, how are you going to do that? The Lord made two requests of Peter. I believe if you're going to fill Jerusalem with your doctrine, 
He's going to make one of those two requests of each of us this morning. He's either going to say, would you thrust out a little bit from the land? Most of us, God's going to say, would you carry some more tracks? Would you knock on a few more doors? Would you invite a few more people? Would you do a little more work? Would you disciple an extra person? Would you get involved in another ministry? Would you give a little more money to missions, to the general fund, to the building fund? Because if a whole lot of people do a little bit more, it adds up to a bunch. But some of us, he's going to say, I want you to launch out into the deep. I want you to learn some things from the story first one is this. The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. Did you know the Lord Jesus had rich followers? He did. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Nicodemus was rich. Uh, there, were, there were ladies that followed Jesus around. We don't talk about that much, but that's what it says. And among them was a lady named Chuzza. She was the wife of Herod Stewart. And the Bible says they ministered unto him of their substance. He could have had some rich man build him a nice dock, put a gazebo at the end, stand there with a soundboard and preach the gospel, but he didn't. He used the boat of an ordinary fisherman. You know, we look at some great churches, example churches. Dr. Vogelin, when he started Fairhaven, saw it grow to an attendance of 3,000. A couple of thousand of those on buses, running buses all over the place for a long time. My friend John Wilkerson, First Baptist Church of Hammond, largest independent Baptist church in the United States, running some 7,000 a Sunday. My friend Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of the Lancaster Baptist Church, Lancaster, California, running about 5,000 a Sunday. We look at those churches and say, wow, those are great churches. They're really getting the job done. Did you know the typical independent Baptist church, the median independent Baptist church, runs 110 on Sunday morning. You're well above that. But did you know from those churches come most of our missionaries, most of our Bible college students, most of our preachers, most of our Christian workers. And the truth is, you take those great example churches, I thank God for them, I learn from them, I appreciate them, but you take those great churches and you shut their doors and the work of God will be just fine. Churches like us will keep on going, but you shut down churches like ours, leave those handful of example churches and the work of God will dry up overnight. We think, well, if we had a Russell Anderson. Russell Anderson's the Anderson in Hiles Anderson College. He has given over $30 million to the work of God. I'm his friend. (laughs) I decided a long time ago there would be one person never asked him for anything, and I volunteered for the position, and it's worked out great. I never asked him for nothing. He never gave me nothing. I gave him a Mont Blanc pen one time because I knew everybody just always wanted stuff from him. Nobody ever did anything for him. Boy, if we had a Russell Anderson, we could do something. Nah. You take those 
few wealthy people that godly and generous and they give of their, their substance to help the work of God and you, you let them keep going and that folks like us who go to work every day and give our tithe and our missions and our building fund commitments, it doesn't seem like a whole lot but we're generous with what we have and we're faithful. You, you cut out the rich people, leave the folks like us, the work of God will be fine but you cut down the folks like us and leave the rich people and it'll dry up in an instant. Don't ever think your service doesn't matter. Don't ever think your stewardship doesn't matter. Don't ever think your soul winning doesn't matter. No, the Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. Second truth is this. The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. I commend this church at their faithfulness Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Now Sunday, and I expect a great crowd tonight. And I'll, I'll, I'm sure some of you barely got home from work, didn't change clothes, scarfed down a sandwich in the car on the way over to be here. It wasn't convenient. Peter has fished all night. You ever work all night? Feel great in the morning, don't you? Man, I've come out after working all night and felt so tired. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but I really felt like I was watching myself do stuff. Come on, Lord, you want my boat? Come. Hey, there's pleasure boaters out here. There's people that didn't work last night. Why don't you use one of their boats? I'm tired. You wait to serve the Lord Jesus till it's convenient. You'll never do what he wants you to do inconvenient. I know a lot of people are going to serve God later on after the kids get grown, after they get their master's degree finished, after they finish their apprenticeship, after they get this deployment done, then they're going to serve God. Did you know God doesn't care any more about what you say you would do with the time you don't have than he does what you say you would do with the money you don't have. He expects us to serve when it's inconvenient. Number three, he expects us to serve him when it's illogical. By now, it's about noon. How many are fishermen? Do you like to fish? Raise your hand. So I'm always amused. We have many more fishermen than we do boat owners. <laughs> your boat owners must be bothered by all the fishermen. I imagine wanting to borrow your boat. It's about noon. Best time to fish, noon, right? No. Sun's directly overhead, the water's warm, the fish run deep, the bugs eat, iron out. You fish early in the morning, you fish late in the evening. You don't fish at noontime. Dumb. <laughs> Jesus ever asked you to do anything seems dumb. <laughs> Lord, that other person's way more qualified than me. Lord, why would you want that much money from me? Why is this going to wipe out my savings account? Somebody else could give it, it wouldn't even make a debt. Or why would you want me to be involved in that outreach ministry? I, every time I try to talk, my tang gets all tangled up. Amen. Illogical. Illogical. But I want you to notice this. The Lord Jesus generously rewards those who do serve him. 
He uses Peter's boat for a few hours at best, and Peter gets the biggest catch of fish he's ever had in his life. So how do you know that? Because they filled both boats and they began to sink. If you're a businessman and your boats are filling up, you buy bigger boats. Huge catch. Brother Brooks, you may remember this is when I was young and it's gone on for a while, pretty well, doesn't happen much now, but there were people gave, went around the country giving their testimonies. And they went like this, I could have been a football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a wealthy businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. I knew one guy said he could have been all three. A football playing, country singing businessman. And we're supposed to go, wow, God really lucked out when you signed up, didn't he? Yeah, you could have 300-pound men jumping up and down on your belly every Sunday afternoon. You gave that up to serve God. You could have sung to a bunch of drunks in a bar somewhere, and you gave that up to serve God. You could have stacked up a bunch of money every dime of which you'd have left behind when you died, and you gave that up to serve God. I want you to know something. I didn't give up anything to serve God. God's been good to me. He's been better to me than the devil ever would have been and the world ever could have been. I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe. Oh, pure and white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven and that's why I'm happy tonight. It's a good deal to serve God. Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. But I want you to notice this. If we limit our obedience, we will limit our reward. Peter, get all your nets Put them in the water. Well, I'll do one net, Lord. Now, wait a minute. What if they put all the nets in the water? What if they could have filled those nets with fish and they didn't break and they could have drug them behind the ships and got to shore? I wonder how many fish they'd have had then. You're probably better Christians than me, but I have this tendency sometimes to negotiate with God. I started a thing at our church by 12, 13 years ago called our Faith Building Offering. By faith, we're doing things to improve our buildings. And our faith was built as we gave. The first year we did it, I said, give everything you can on the first Sunday and then promise to give the rest over the, next, the rest of the year. First year we did it, the Lord prompted my wife and I to give $10,000. Didn't have it. But my promise to give, and it worked out. The next year, he told me to give a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. And finally, I said, Lord, this is not going to work. If I keep doing this, I'll be giving away more money than I make. Only the government can do that. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm already giving three times as much as anybody else. You need to keep the Lord informed about things like that. <laughs> you might not know otherwise. And one Wednesday night, I'm standing up in the pulpit of our church teaching a lesson. I talked to the people about trusting God. And the Spirit of God said to me, can you trust me? Uh, Lord, this, this is for them. <laughs> can you trust me? And in that moment, I did the hardest and the most important and the sweetest thing a child of God will ever do, I surrendered. 
You can negotiate with God. Spend less in time of serving him. Give less in money. Give less of your life. But you limit your reward if you limit your obedience. Heard about a wealthy man who'd given enough money to build an entire church building. He built the building, bought the property, bought the furnishings, everything. Not long after that, he went through a severe business reversal and lost everything he had. Got a job, went to work like the rest of us. Walking down the street one day and with a friend of his who knew the story, they walked by that church building and rather sardonically and cynically, his friend said, well, I bet you wish now you hadn't given all that money away. And the former rich man smiled. He said, oh, no, if I had kept that money, I would have lost it when I lost everything else. And he pointed to the church building and said, that's the only thing I saved. Can I tell you, church, one day we're going to get to heaven and find out the only thing we're able to save is what we gave. One more lesson from this story. I uh, read you verses 1 through 10. I didn't read verse 11. Now, I'm not near my Bible, so if I quote it incorrectly, don't think I've changed translations on you. It says something like this in verse 11. When they come to shore, they forsook all and followed him. All what? Well, all those fish they just caught, biggest catch of their lives. All those nets Peter was so concerned about not getting wet and dirty again, the ships that they used to conduct their business, you see, after they'd been around Jesus, after they saw who he was and what he could do and what it was like to be involved in service with him, and he said, I want you now to be fishing men. None of the rest of it mattered anymore. Here's the final lesson. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. Amen. See, the best part of serving Jesus is not what he does for it, us. It's that you get to serve Jesus. Amen. He chose 12 that he might teach them and they might be with him. There was a TV program on when I was a kid called A Family Affair. A man named Brian Keith, he played Uncle Bill in the story, had taken in three, uh, two nieces and a nephew, and their parents died. And There's a man named uh, Mr. French in the program, Sebastian Cato, who's kind of a male nanny. One of those stories, Uncle Bill decides to take the kids, Jody and Buffy and Sissy, on a fishing trip. So he gets out the tent, the sleeping bags, and the cook stove, and the tackle boxes, and the poles, and he gets the boat and the motor all hooked up, and he loads everything in the station wagon. That's what they used to call SUVs. <laughs> and they go on the trip and it's a disaster. Everything you can imagine would go wrong, does go wrong. The lines get tangled, the motor conks out, the bugs are terrible, it rains all the time, they don't catch any fish, the tent leaks. Finally, they throw the whole sodden mess in the back of the station wagon, they're driving home, and Uncle Bill's disgusted. He said, I'm sorry, kids. I really wanted you to have a nice time. And one of the kids said, oh, Uncle Bill, that's all right. We just enjoy being with you. I'll say it again. The best part about serving Jesus is you get to serve Jesus. Here's the last lesson. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. There's another TV program on when I was young called Kojak. I never watched it. I don't know if it was good or bad. 
But Kojak was a New York City detective that was known for two things. He always had a lollipop in his mouth, and he had a very distinctively masculine hairdo. <laughs> you look it up, you're going to find out scientifically correct. Baldness is caused by a male hormone. That's why so few women go bald. So we say to all those wimps with a full head of hair, <laughs> Telly Savalas was flying home to his native Greece. Across the aisle in the first class section, there was a man who leaned over and said, Mr. Savalas, I know you're busy. I know people bother you all the time, but can I talk to you a little bit? You're Greek. I'm Greek. I really appreciate you. He said, no, man, I'm taking this trip because I'm worn out. I'm tired. I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, he said, I understand. It's a long flight to Greece. Ten hours or so, nine hours from New York City. And after a while, the man looks over and tells Savalas isn't sleeping, he's not eating, he's not working, he's not reading, he's just sitting there. And he tried again. Mr. Savalas, I know you said you don't want to be bothered, but you're my favorite actor. You're Greek, I'm Greek, you brought so much honor to our country. I wonder if I could just talk to you for a little bit. No, I told you I don't want to be bothered. Yes, sir, you did, I'm sorry. Plane landed in Greece. As it taxied up to the gate, Telly Savalas peered out the window and he saw reporters and a band and a big crowd of people, photographers, and he began to curse. And he said, that agent of mine, I told him I didn't want anybody to know I was going to be here. The plane stopped. The door opened and two Greek soldiers holding their rifles entered the aircraft. Everyone stay seated, please. There's no problem. We want to remain seated as we escort the king of Greece off the airplane. And that man had twice asked to talk to Telly Savalas, snugged up his tie and straightened his jacket, and walked out to the photographers waiting to take his picture, and the reporters waiting to write about his return, and the band waiting to play for him, and the crowd waiting to welcome him home. I heard that story, and I thought, I wonder how Telly Savalas felt then. Twice, the king of Greece said, could I talk to you a little bit? And he was too busy to be bothered. And then I thought, I wonder how I'm going to feel, and I wonder how you're going to feel. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and face the fact that not once, not twice, hundreds, thousands of times, the Lord Jesus said, could I use your boat? Can he use your boat? Can he use it when it's inconvenient? Can he use it when it's illogical? Can he use it without you worrying about what you'll lose and trusting him to make everything work out? The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. He asks us, to serve him when it's inconvenient and when it's illogical. He generously rewards those who serve him. And if we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. But it's all said and done. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you please guide me as I extend the invitation. Speak to our hearts. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Nobody looking around, please. I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, Brother Let, I'm God's child. I'd go to heaven if I died right now. I know that. 
Not because I deserve it, because I've trusted him and him alone for my eternal salvation. And I believe the Lord is prompting me to thrust out a little bit from the land. You have an idea what that would involve. You may not have any idea. Say, I think the Lord wants me to thrust out a little bit from the land. Maybe not sure what it is, but you'll say yes anyhow. If you say, yeah, I think that's me. I think God does want me to thrust out a little bit from the land. Pray with me about that. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. And then I think there's probably some of us in the Lord saying, I want you to launch out into the deep. I wonder who would say, I'm not sure what it means. You may have an idea what it means. But I believe God's asking me to launch out into the deep. And I'm telling him, yes, he can use my boat. He can take it in the deep waters. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. I want to ask another question. I wonder if you're here this morning, you don't even know for sure that you would go to heaven if you died right now. Did you know that God loves you? So much that he wants you to spend forever with him. Think about that. There's one thing keeps us from spending forever with the Lord Jesus, and that's our sin. I don't have much trouble getting people to acknowledge that they're sinners. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What I deserve and you deserve because of our sin is to die and be in hell forever. A little more trouble getting people to acknowledge that. But if I paid what I owed for my sin, I'd have to die and go to hell. So would you. But God loved us. And he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, gave him to come and shed his blood on the cross after living a sinless life. Die, raised from the grave to prove his power over sin and death and Satan. And the Bible says, that if we believe on him, if we trust him and him alone, God gives us everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know you could walk out of this room knowing from the word of God that all your sins have been forgiven, that you don't have to give account for any of the wrong things you've ever done, that you have a place in heaven, not because you deserve it, but because God loves you. And he sent Jesus to die in your place. I wonder if somebody's here this morning, you'd say, if I died right now, I do not know whether or not I'd go to heaven, but I wish I did. I wish you'd pray for me when you pray for those other folks. If you say that, I won't embarrass you. A lot of people raise their hand. I'm going to go ahead and call attention to any of them. I won't call any more attention to you now than I did to them then. But I'd like to include you in the prayer. I wonder who would say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I wish I was. Pray for me when you pray for those other folks. If that's you, would you slip your hand up high right now? Right where you sit? Yeah, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to be sure of it. Include me in that prayer. Slip up your hand. I'll see it. I'll be glad to pray for you. Father, we know you love us and we thank you that you allow us to serve you. I pray for every person whose hand was lifted. I pray for some who maybe should have responded and did not. Help us all to act now obediently. The invitation time will thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen.